0: Hello everybody and thank you once again for joining my brother and I in what is going to be a fantastic podcast. My name is WJ Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, volumes one through eight, which are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook format. And one through six are on Audible, for those of you who like to listen to a little something while out on a drive. And I have a new series out of Creep, entitled The Exorcist. There are three volumes, Truth and Lies, Diabolica, and Full Moon. So if you're into a little Creep show, check them out on Amazon as well. Only one of them is on Audible at the moment, and that is The Exorcist diabolica and now may i introduce my brother and co-host kj kev how are you hey bill how's it going marvelous marvelous and who
1: isn't into a good creep show
0: (laughs) yes i like a little creep but (laughs) you know uh i got into that uh writing of that exorcist series because i have uh an interest in exorcism, you know, which is a real, live phenomena. Uh, people do get possessed, and the uh, since the New Testament times, people have been being delivered of demons right up until this day. So, uh, I'd like in to this, stay clear of it, though, both ways. Yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> something you want to uh, dip into, and most people that do are fortunate if they escape. So uh, for those of you who are into a little creep, check out my new series, The Exorcist. I think you'll dig it, man. <laughs> so, my brother, what's going on over there? You got anything uh Yeah, I got some good
1: stuff going on. And speaking of creep, you know, it's the evening here. Evening is setting in, and uh, big thunderstorms are rolling through. So if you hear a little booming in the background, it's not the family slamming the doors. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> or somebody who used to live there. Ooh, that could be.
1: <laughs> A little creep fest. Yeah, so we are going to talk about the secrets of the Nahani. Wow. When, or, or the many legends of the Nahani, including some of the places. You know, one is called
0: Headless Valley or the Valley of the Headless Men. Nice. Now, this uh, Nahani, that's up in... Uh... Northwest uh, Territory in Canada, isn't it?
1: Exactly. I was going to say, so let's start out with where the heck is Nahanni?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's in the Northwest Territories. Very good. The province of Canada up there all the way in the Northwest. And this province is just north of the province of British Columbia, which is, you know, where a lot of Sasquatch sightings are.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh,
1: Nahani and the Northwest Territories in general are a very rural place. And uh, the, the region of Nahani has a lot of mountains there and rivers. And it's part of what's called the, Nash, the, the Nahani National Park Reserve of Canada. So I guess it's like one of our national parks, what we would have in the
0: United States. Probably more like a protected area, though, in that region. True, like, I mean, true.
1: Yeah, like a protected I, wilderness.
0: I can't imagine people going in station wagons with picnic baskets to the Nahani.
1: As a matter of fact, there are no roads to the Nahani. so uh, <laughs> the main way in today is by float plane. So not wow, even dude.
0: airports, but just uh, float plane or seaplane. So complete isolation and desolation.
1: Yeah, and to give it a little bit of reference, other than you know where the province is, this uh, area is about three hundred miles west of the booming metropolis of Yellowknife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you yeah, may know ball. Yellow Knife from like Ice Road Truckers and uh I forget what the uh, aviation series is where they uh fly around up there in the frozen tundra. Is that aviation series still on? That's uh Yeah, I can't, I just... can't think of the name. I know I I DVR it cuz you know, Bill, I'm an aviation nut. And it's yeah. just kind of fun to see them flying these DC-3s around on skis and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, very interesting, you know, but I mean, come on, Yellowknife, what's the population, 10,000? Uh, polar bears, you mean? Or? Yeah, more, pol- <laughs> more polar bears than people. Exactly, not a lot of people. At, and Nahani's 300 miles away from there. Exactly,
1: so. 300 miles to the
0: west. And, you know,
1: it's kind of like the places uh, much of Alaska where, you know, you don't realize it until you go there, but you really can't, cannot get around unless you are in a float plane. You know, you're not going to drive there. You're not going to walk there,
0: right? Just a float plane or or those jumbo donut tires or skis. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, mean, uh,
1: harsh mountains too. You know, so yeah, you're not even going to get. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. A float plane with the jumbo donut tires. Yeah, yeah, or skis. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I misunderstood.
0: No, that's okay, and listen, man. They, you know a lot of people go there and die and are never seen again, so well,
1: and that's part of this legend.
0: <laughs> wow. All right, man.
1: so Fodor.com, you know Fodor, the travel people, they describe uh, this area. they call it "Dark mountain spires pierce the fog against a steely sky, making Nahani National Park seem more akin to mordor than Canada) oh.
0: <laughs> oh boy. Oh Little boy. middle earth place. Yeah, well I mean that's their description, right? It's creepy. Super so creepy. Weird. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mordor. Mordor. So
1: wow. um the the and and on uh dot com they, they write about an experience of an early British explorer and writer. Uh his name is Raymond Patterson. And they say when he set out to the Nahani region from Fort Smith, which is one of the trading posts up there in the Northwest Territories, in 1927, he received an ominous piece of advice, uh, according to the book by Neil Hartling, called Nahani River of Gold, River of Dreams. And this guy uh, who wrote the book, Neil told him, men vanish in that country. And down the river, they say it's a damn good country to keep clear of.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Quite a, quite a warning, you know? Yeah, I'd say.
1: Especially <laughs> in writing. So, you know, one of the first folks that were documented to have disappeared are two brothers named Frank and Willie McLeod. And they journeyed from Edmonton, Alberta so east of there, to the Nahani Range in 1904. So way back when, more than 100 years ago. And okay. they were traveling in uh, pretty primitive gear, and they, they traversed the area by boat and foot during a numbingly cold winter until they reached the place there called Gold, Gold Creek. So a lot of prospecting going on there at that time. Okay. Their efforts were rewarded, and they returned to their home in Fort Laird, which is another trading post there in the region, a former fur trading post uh, up in the Northwest Territories, with a lot of gold in their hands. So they had a good trip, and then they went out for a second expedition in 1905, but they never came back. Oh, boy. Exactly. So their brother, now this is, you know, 1905, so tough Tough getting around up there. Maybe they hit it rich, you know, met some women, who knows, and they're hanging out. You know, they don't have cell phones and not even mail service, so maybe they're okay. But they don't hear from them for three years, and their brother, whose name was Charlie McLeod, he led a search in the park, and he had with him some of the First Nations people You know, what we would call Native Americans, but up in Canada and some retired Canadian mounted police. So, you know, good, strong search party. And they set out in the region where they thought they last were. And they discovered two skeletons at their camp on the river's edge. uh, And both of their heads had been cut off. And their heads weren't there.
0: Wow, that's nice. Yeah.
1: Hence the name
0: Valley of the Headless Men. Wow. And and the, uh, now, let me retrace this in my mind. The native peoples up there, of which there were some in the search party, aren't they called the Diné? Diné, yes. So did the Diné at the time of finding these two headless skeletons, I mean, let's face it, your head just doesn't detach from the skeleton and disappear. Right, right. Did, did they say anything about uh, a, a culture of head hunting or anything like that? Yeah, so good question. So the Dené have uh,
1: a lot of uh, theories about what goes on in that region, and so we'll talk a little bit about those now. So in this in this valley, right? Um, they talk about the fact that there is some vicious tribe. Of uh other First Nations people called the Naha, but they only talk about them, the Dene talk about them, but you don't really see them written about, or I didn't see them written about, that live up in the mountaintops. And they kind of observe the valley during the day, and then they come down at night and take people away.
0: Oh. And boy. they're rumored
1: to be able to make a man disappear into a wisp of smoke.
0: Jeez. Yeah.
1: So get this, too. There's also uh, tales and uh, other uh, prospectors and explorers write about this, too, that there's this hidden valley inside this valley somewhere. You know, this is a huge area. Um, But there's this hidden valley that has kind of a a rainforest, like a tropical rainforest that's fueled with hot springs.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: So it's kind of an otherworldly place. You know, where, like, no matter what the time of year, here we are up in the Northwest Territories, they write about the fact that there's no snow there.
0: Well, it's got to be some type of volcanic vent, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. But, you know, who knows if this really exists? Like, it sounds a little bit like kind of a Garden of Eden of sorts, only full of of creep. Um, (laughs) And they talk about these hairy man giants that lived in the valley. And would Uh come out of the valley, and they're vicious, you know, and they would tear people apart. And then there's other folks, not just the Dene, that talk about the fact that in this strange valley, this tropical valley, there's like animals and beasts living there from a prehistoric time. So, and traders and stuff talked about the fact that they would see these like woolly mammoths. And there's even writings of folks coming back from trips there with giant ivory tusks. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, super crazy, right?
0: Yeah, is any of this current or this is old uh, folklorish kind of stuff? Old
1: folklore stuff. So I didn't see anything that happened, you know, very recently. But these these, uh, deaths, multiple deaths of folks, not just the McLeod brothers, uh, were found uh, decapitated, you know, through time. Right. Uh-huh. And and the heads are never found. And apparently the Royal Canadian Mounted Police confirm that all these deaths really happen. Wow. So it's kind of, you know, oh, and there's one more creature. This is this is perhaps the creepiest. You know, you got these hairy giants. They're pretty creepy. But then in this age of like uh, or this rumored age where there's these uh, uh, prehistoric animals creeping around. They talk about this bear dog, giant bear dog hybrid that is prowling the valley mm. and uh ripping things apart. And apparently this is uh uh a, an animal uh called an I'm going to try this amphicyon amphicyon a die. So kind of a dire wolf of so- sorts that mm-hmm. existed uh uh, and went extinct in the Pliocene Ice Age period.
0: Yeah. Now the, the this is not the first time that somebody has spoken about still seeing a dire wolf. These were like a gigantic. Oh yeah. Huge uh, wolf-like beast. creature. Uh, just hold for a second, Kev. Go back to the giants. Yeah. These giants were described as being hairy. Yes. Well, wow, I mean, I, I wonder. You know, Bigfoot. Exactly. Yeah. And it's I not mean, uh, far
1: from, uh, you know, the British Columbia, right? This, yeah. this hotbed of sightings. It's just over the border in the southern edge of Northwest Territories. Wow. So it's not that far well, away at all. And then, you know, if you, we talked last week, I think, about uh, Gigantopithecus, you know, and the theory that he came across the Bering Sea Bridge from Asia into uh what 's now Alaska, and here you 're right there in the Northwest Territories,
0: yeah, no doubt about it there's quite a mix going on up there, yeah, and this this dire wolf uh creature i 'm not even going to attempt to uh retrace what you named it but <laughs> Good. what about what about this thing what is there any evidence of that or just spoken about just it just spoken about it, so spoken legend, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and, you you know, we talked about the fact that it wasn't just the McLeod brothers who died or went missing in the park in the early 20th century. A Scottish engineer had been traveling with them and was never seen again. And uh, a a Yukon prospector named Martin Jurgensen met a similar fate in 1917. He had sent news home that he had struck it rich in the area, again with gold, and not long after, his decapitated skeleton was found outside his cabin, which was burned to the ground.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, so look, there's two things involved there now, though. Something that had the ability to light a fire. Yep. And kill a man. Right. So, you know, that, that to me sounds uh, uh, human it does uh, more as, so
1: than a direwolf,
0: right? Yeah. Well, you just uh, the it takes the head and has no interest in eating uh, the body. You know, a very very strange happening. By the way, was that Yukon uh, prospect ro- <inaudible> Yukon prospectors' name Yosemite Sam? <laughs> no, and I was going to say, you know,
1: don't rule out the direwolf because it could be a fire breathing direwolf. <laughs> While we're in the land of the
0: strange. Yeah, that I mean, that place is just like talk about that's like there used to be a movie, The Land of the Lost. Oh, yeah, I remember that a long time ago. And these guys came across this location where there was a T Rex running around yeah. and this and that. And, and this uh Nahani kind of uh stirs my memory back into that that place, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, especially when you talk about this tropical area, too. Yeah, So, you know, you have these different theories of what, what came down, this tribe of evil uh, natives that would watch from the mountaintops and descend, these hairy giants, this prehistoric dire wolves, or maybe it's just, you know, I say just, but maybe it's crazy prospectors, you know, killing mm-hmm. one another over the gold or over the claim of the gold. But it is kind of interesting that they're cutting their heads off and, uh, you know, leaving the bodies without the heads.
0: Yeah, well, if if it was them, it, it has some meaning to them. Like, uh, you know, I've heard of uh, headhunting tribes and whatnot where they cut the head off and they believe that uh, dooms the spirit to roam the earth or something like that. You know, yeah, they can't uh, they can't get away. They can't be free, you know. Yep. Strange things like that.
1: And, you know, they he, he, part of it, like when uh, you read about what some of the anthropologists think, of course, they kind of poo-poo the whole idea and say that these are all legends that the uh, First Nation people came up with to keep the children from going out into the forest and wandering too far from the camp, right? We saw that when we talk about all kinds of legends, right, like uh, Wolfman and stuff like that going back to France.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely. But it
1: seems like there's more there in this place with all of this other stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then also there's rumors, Right, I couldn't find any firm stories, So shout out to our listeners here. If they know of any, send them my way. But there's rumors of like strange lights and UFO sightings in modern day up in the same area. Wow. So so it's kind of a creepy place and then again to the Dene it is a uh, a very it has this parts of the valley that are extremely sacred to them. You know, and forbidden for anyone to go in. So, you know, they think it's kind of a magical and sacred place. Maybe it is. I mean, yeah, there's well, stuff out there
0: it, that we don't understand, right? Now the park though was named the Nahani and that tribe in the mountains was the Nahan or Nahani, right?
1: N- Naha. So uh, I see it called two different things, but one one of the names is called a Naha. Huh. And I don't know if that's like short or what, different language. Couldn't tell.
0: Wow, that's freaking crazy. Yeah. Whew.
1: Pretty pretty cool stuff. And again, These these prospectors got killed up there. It's an interesting area. They got killed during the Klondike Gold Rush, where, you know, in that part of Western Canada, between 1896 and 1899, gold was discovered, and about 100,000 prospectors made their way into this super harsh landscape. Okay. Pretty interesting. Could you imagine, like, if you're down in San Francisco... Um, you know, and you wanted to make a buck, and you know somebody said, "Hey, they discovered gold up here in this absolutely frozen, fierce wilderness," and a hundred thousand different folks went up there, and basically they could, of course, they couldn't take a float plane, so they had to like raft down this river that's like class five rapids between the
0: mountains. Holy smoke, and then get back out. Yeah,
1: and that's after taking a ship and a train, et cetera, to get to the head of the river.
0: Absolutely nuts. Pretty wild stuff, you know. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Kev, that's an incredible story, that whole area up there, that Nahani Valley, uh, River Valley, I mean – Maybe there's some more to unfold about that over time. And certainly if any of our listeners uh, have any insight uh, living up there or knowing people who've been there, relatives, ancestors, definitely get back to us and uh, fill us in.
1: Absolutely. Anything that's more modern day, especially like because the area is interesting. You know, it was first developed and I use developed like uh, (laughs) liberally. Um, it, you know, it was the fur traders up there, kind of Hudson Bay fur traders and stuff like that, that came over and they were, uh, gathering, hunting and gathering furs and trading them to, to go out throughout the world. So brave souls, you know, out there. And then it was the, uh, gold rush, the Klondike mm-hmm. Gold Rush. Um, so there's a lot of written history from up there of these frontiers people. Uh, and, of course, the Dene, the the uh, First Nation people of Canada that have been there for much longer than that. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of history about this valley. But I didn't come across yet, at least, any of the more modern day stuff, which is, you know, probably just as interesting.
0: Well, you know, we owe a lot to these brave souls, uh, that went up there, as far as mapping and just you know informing the rest of the world as to what was there. Exactly. exactly. You know. So yeah, like Lewis and Clark type of explorers. You yeah, know, sounds
1: pretty cool. Like one little snippet, Bill, and I'll touch on, it, and then we can go into an account. Um, but it was interesting. Like I learned in reading this. Uh, you know, forgive my uh, naivete, but that these trappers would go up there and get all of the furs and skins in that and then they would actually make like a canoe out of the furs and skin and, and ride that back with all of the, 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 the furs and skins and then they would take the canoe apart and sell the skins from that as well. So, Which is
0: pretty interesting. Really, talk about, uh, you know, thinking on the fly and and really that can do attitude. Absolutely. Just incredible, man. Wow. Cool stuff. Yeah,
1: well, So, thanks, what do l- you got this week?
0: <clears throat> well, I got something really uh, bizarre here, and let me uh, just dive right into it. Uh, this story came from a fellow named Jeff Landis. Uh, actually a former resident of right here on Long Island in New York, who now lives in Pennsylvania. And uh, this is what Jeff had to say. In the 70s, I was involved in the trucking business. My mainstay was hauling potatoes. And the two areas from which I hauled potatoes were Long Island and Maine. Now, you can relate to that, Kev. I mean... No doubt. Yeah,
1: I mean, Long Island, I don't know how it is now, but it was one of... uh A lot of potatoes came from there. Not like Idaho, but a lot of potatoes. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and they were very tasty and well-known, and a lot of the potato farms here now are vineyards. Oh, okay. So you went to the cash crop, grapes. Well, yeah, back in the day, rich people realized, you know, I want to be a vineyard owner, and apparently the soil that was great for potatoes is also great for grapes. Yeah. Uh, So anyways, he says that through this work, I developed many relationships with people in Maine. And I kept in touch with these guys long after my days as a potato trucker had ended. The fellas in Maine called themselves maniacs, and with good reason. They lived a fairly secluded life up there and had embraced many hobbies to keep themselves busy. If it involved shooting, hunting, or snow, it was right up the maniac's alley. Four-wheeling motocross bikes were also at the front of their entertainment menu. In other words, these dudes were doing everything that you and I want to do, but can't because of where we choose to live and all of the do's and don'ts of living there. Maine is wild country with very few inhabitants and even fewer people in law enforcement available to watch over you. I was always game for whatever the boys up there had up their sleeve, and they loved to show off their toys whenever I had the time to hang out with them. Thirty years or so after I was done with trucking, I still went up there to hunt with them. Now, I don't recommend this to you or anybody else, but some of these boys were regularly hunting out of season. It's not my place to judge them on whether or not that's right or wrong, especially since I did it with them on this particular trip. I will give them this much. Everything that they killed was eaten, and they let nothing go to waste. On this occasion, we were bow hunting for some white-tailed deer, and I had brought along my old bar Apache 38-pound recurve bow. I won't divulge where or when we were hunting, so don't ask. What I will say is that one of the guy's families owned an enormous tract of land which covered hundreds of acres and abutted an area that was robust with cranberries. Cranberries are one of the main agricultural products in the state, and there are a lot of animals who love to eat them as well. The boys had a number of locations where they would regularly set up trail cameras to keep tabs on what was moving in and out. So we hiked in to retrieve some of the data cards and see what was around for the taking. Now, if you've never been in the woods in Maine, the forest can be so dense that you could get lost 20 feet away from a road and never know that the road was there. And many people do get lost there every year. Since these guys knew the area very well, they knew where we could find a couple of clearings in the woods. Some of them were quite small, but they were clearings nonetheless. So we made our way into the woods, taking the data cards and resetting some of the cameras which we we had passed along the way. We reviewed the footage, but they were not impressed with what they saw. There were a lot of small females and short antlered bucks coming and going, but nothing worth hunting. The next day, we went back and retrieved the cards from the newer areas that we had set the day before. Upon review, we saw not one, but two really decent bucks coming into the clearings. One was a healthy eight-pointer and the other a ten. However, while reviewing the film, we noticed something odd. There was a dark shadow that passed through the camera's field of view. Now, since the cameras take still shots when triggered and those are only taken every so many seconds, the first shot initially obscured the lens, while the second shot looked like a blurry picture of what may have been a large elbow and a forearm. One of the guys said it could have been the hind leg of a moose. All I knew was that it was a funny image of something dark. The plan was that two of us were going to stake out one of the clearings, while the other two staked out the other, and we flipped a coin for the ten-pointer. The next morning, we were in the woods really early. David and I were sitting with camo on and our backs up against some good foliage. I will try to describe the clearing as best as I can. Dave had told me that this was a cranberry and spruce bog. In the morning light, there was a heavy mist draped over the forest, and everything was soaking wet with dew. The clearing was oblong in shape and tightly bordered by pointy blue spruce trees that varied greatly in their height. They had a staggered, misty look as they faded into the fog. The majority of the clearing was comprised of reddish-golden grass that was well-soaked and slumped over. Interspersed with that grass were hundreds of baby spruce trees, as well as some other plants with bright red leaves. If my memory is correct, these were the cranberries. We sat and waited for some time. Now, my range for my bow with accuracy was probably 25 to 30 yards maximum. I had never attempted to shoot at anything further away, so something Would have to come relatively close for me to hit it. That's the art of bow hunting. Everything is done quietly and at close range, especially with a recurve. About two hours had gone by, and the mist was all but gone, when a doe came into the clearing. She was about 50 yards away, but we weren't here for a doe. We were looking for the eight pointer, since we had lost the coin toss for the 10. A little while later, there were a total of three does eating in the clearing. They were in the grass that I spoke of earlier, which was wet and made virtually no noise as they walked about. Suddenly, off to my left, the eight-point buck emerged from the spruce trees. We didn't hear him coming, but he was there all the same. He surveyed the clearing and the does with it before he began to slowly wander around eating all the while. I already was in position for a great shot at him. I just needed to get into a crouch so I could stand up. I put my broadhead's knock on the string and slowly started to stand. Drew back the bow and took my shot. It was a great shot at a quarter angle and went right into the organs. I couldn't believe it. The buck lurched and jumped, running into the woods as Dave ran over and gave me a high five telling me what a great shot it was. There was an immediate blood trail, so it shouldn't have taken long to find him. That is to say, it shouldn't have taken long for Dave to find him. If it was just me, I would have never found it. However, we got to a point where Dave said that the trail of blood had stopped, and he couldn't find any more. He said that the deer had fallen in this spot most definitely, but it was not there. It died, fell on the ground, and somehow disappeared. Even I could see that the area was flattened where the body had been. We looked for three hours and still couldn't find the buck. And Dave said this was the first time that this had ever happened to him. At a loss for words, we made our way out of the forest. Good hunters never want to leave a shot animal in the woods. That's taboo. When we met up with the other guys, they couldn't believe what had happened to us, and they said they had no luck with the 10-pointer either. The next day, Dave and I went back to check the place where the 10 should have been, and the other guys had moved on to another location entirely. We made our way into the clearing very early. The conditions were just like the day before, misty and foggy, with dew everywhere. The forest repeats itself here, being comprised of very few plant varieties, but they are all abundant wherever you go. This particular field was slightly smaller in dimensions than yesterday's clearing. Dave and I were sitting about 75 feet apart from each other, but we could see each other plainly despite our camo. Pretty much the same scenario played out for us the second day. A couple of doe gradually entered the clearing, and then, almost like clockwork the 10-pointer came out of the woods. He was about 150 feet away from Dave and over 200 from me. He gradually lumbered around the clearing, and over a period of about 20 minutes, he was making his way toward my location. Finally, he was positioned about 35 yards from me with his head down. I admit, I was a little bit antsy, but I put the arrow in the string and stood to draw it. A doe jumped, and the buck raised his head and started to turn, and I let the arrow go as it began to jump, which was not a good move on my part. A professional would have waited longer or passed on the shot altogether, but I'm not a pro. It wasn't a terrible shot, but I think it hit the shoulder bone, seeing that the arrow did not sink into the body upon impact, and the buck took off. Dave asked if I hit him, and I told him that I thought I hit bone. If that was what had happened, he would be tracking a wounded animal that might not fall for another few hours, if it even fell today. However, we began to track it. Dave scoured the ground for blood, but there was very little. We surveyed a number of narrow game trails through the surrounding woods, trying as best as we could to determine which way the critter may have gone. Back and forth we went for over an hour, but we couldn't find the buck. Suddenly, Dave shouted, Holy cow! What the hell is this mess? We had stumbled upon a spot of the trail that was soaked in blood. Everything around this one area was trampled down, and in the middle of it all was half of a deer's leg. I couldn't tell if it was the front or back leg. We couldn't understand what happened here and it was all very fresh, the blood being still warm to the touch. And Dave said that it must have been from the buck that I had hit. I didn't know. We stood there looking around in shock, and Dave began to tell me some stories that he had heard through the years, other hunters having said that they had their kill taken before they could retrieve it themselves. But none of them knew what might have taken them. Dave walked over to the mess and reached down, picking up a piece of antler. Bears don't snap legs off and break antlers, and they sure as heck don't run away with a deer in their mouth. Later on, we met up with the other guys who had managed to score a nice buck for themselves. One of the guys had said that he once found a semi-eaten day-old doe lying in the woods. That had one of its legs ripped off. None of us had mentioned the name of Bigfoot that day, but the thought later on had entered my mind when I had heard of animals being taken down by a Bigfoot on the hunt. We had seen almost nothing, but we had seen enough. What do you think of that, Kevin? <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, so he's taken a little bit of a presumptive leap in that over time, he thought it may have been a Bigfoot having learned ipso facto after the fact of Bigfoots, you know, attacking deer and breaking legs and stuff, breaking their neck. Yeah, breaking antlers and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Breaking legs. Yeah. I mean, pretty weird that they're bow hunting and he he has enough sense to realize he didn't get a good shot in the body. Uh, yeah, but they go, yeah. they, they go looking for the deer anyway and end up finding this blood-soaked area. Now, the, an arrow into the bone isn't going to leave a blood-soaked area on a path.
1: No, no. And, I mean, that's the thing with bow hunting, Bill, is you're so close to the prey. You can tell a lot more than, say, with a rifle and a scope,
0: you know, right, at right. that range. And the idea that they find a leg, a snapped-off leg, and a broken antler. Yeah, that's weird. That's like, you know, a little bit of a, a tussle occurred there to have one <laughs> and the other, you know? Yikes. Jeez. Yikes. But, uh, so, you know, a little bit of a surprise there. Nobody saw a Bigfoot. However, they did have that odd thing show up on the one camera. Yeah. and Shadowy um,
1: shape or whatever, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a little weird, and the other guy dismissed it as possibly being the hind leg, hind leg of a uh, a moose. Okay, but uh, you don't know, you know it's 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 one of them oddities, you know.
1: No doubt about it. And that was up in Maine with the maniacs.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, rural, more, uh, certainly, uh, actually, a rural place there, right? Yeah, they was. So, I know this much. They was somewhere around Mars Hill. Mm. So I don't know where Mars Hill or what's what's near there or not near there, you know, but I think these dudes lived in the area of Mars Hill. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. I don't know yeah. where that is. And maybe some of our friends in Maine could contact us and...
1: Yeah, let us know if you've seen the hairy man around Mars Hill.
0: Yeah, or if anything tried or to Jupiter snap...
1: Hill, for that matter, too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, let us know if anybody tore your antler off and broke your leg. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh man, that's some crazy stuff, though, man. Ooh. But you know, Kevin, it's not the first time uh, that anybody took the presumptive leap about uh, deer being. We had that one on the frozen lake. Remember? Remember the carcass? That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the frozen lake. Yeah. And yeah, we've um, had a couple
1: of accounts where, you know, it's torn apart like that, a leg taken away, you know, et cetera. Right. Unlike well, what a bear would do.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like uh, the uh, Bigfoot, uh, if you believe they do that, was trying to uh, halt the ability of the creature to move anymore or jump to its feet at, while it dispatched him, you know, breaking the neck or, you know. Doing whatever they're going to do, you know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, and who knows? Maybe it's some type of trapping ability. You know, we talk about these creatures laying underground. Yes. What if they do lay in wait and extend one of those super long arms and theirs out and just grab a leg? Absolutely. You know, like some type of a uh, furry ninja grab. <laughs> I was just Aye-ya! watching the.
1: I was watching the original Rambo movie the other night. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> with Sylvester Stallone and one of the. Law enforcement guys that he gets He's laying on the ground You know With his camo on uh, Green beret style And the guy comes walking up And he reaches up and grabs him
0: you know. Oh there you go So just like go. a Bigfoot
1: Rambo style ninja Bigfoot deer grab
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah so anyway that's it I thought that was a very cool account And by no, the way awesome. people uh, If you've had an encounter uh, I always say, if you've seen something, say something. So you know, reach out to us. Even if you want to just say hello, uh, at Woods dot com and hit our contact button and uh, type away. Tell a lot of people contact me. So uh, don't be shy. I love to talk to people, and I'll probably uh, call you back or ask you to call me.
1: Yeah, and we will definitely keep it anonymous too, if you don't want, if you don't want it to be known, because. We understand a lot of folks out there that have these encounters. They don't, you know, they're they're uncomfortable being la- that they might be labeled as like a crazy person because they talked about it.
0: Yeah, and we see that more often than not. We right? do. Go- yeah,
1: we can keep a secret.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Believe it yeah, or not, yeah,
1: I know that's shocking. Probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's so shocking that I didn't know what my brother was going to talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable So what do we got Kevin Our uh, listener mail Yeah we got some good
1: listener mail this week The first one's a bit of an account as well So it's a little longer than most So uh, stick with it This comes from Becca In Colorado And from reading the letter I think Becca might be short for Rebecca So okay. But I like Becca That sounds cool She says hello Bill and Kevin Kevin and Bill And then she writes, Bill I'm not sure about that, though, Becca. (laughs) Bill Bill Baggins? (laughs) She says, I found your podcast through Fringe Radio a while back. Recently, recently my husband recommended I start listening to more podcasts about Bigfoot rather than all the depressing news podcasts. Hey, I'm with you, Becca's husband. Need more (laughs) Bigfoot, less crazy fake news.
0: Yeah. yeah, I could go for I that I rediscovered
1: myself. your podcast and I've enjoyed it so very much Since you're taking listener stories I figured I'd give you my second hand account for your database I am a deputy in north central Colorado A couple of months ago I helped our local park rangers with a traffic stop And the female passenger had a warrant out on her So I ended up transporting her to the local jail She was very cooperative and was your run-of-the-mill transient. I made conversation with her on the drive, as I often do with my passengers. She puts in parentheses, no need to be a jerk, which that's good to hear, Becca. Um, We spoke about how she grew up in Colorado, and she noted she and her boyfriend were staying near Telluride, the city of Telluride, before they came to north-central Colorado. She she then stated that they came up here a few days ago because they were scared away by a Bigfoot. She says, of course, I was now very curious and asked her questions about it. She said that they were staying near Rainbow Trout Lake off Road 17 and were panning for gold at the foot of the mountain. The last day they were there, rocks were suddenly being thrown at them from above. She said that they saw a Bigfoot on the mountain running between the stands of trees and throwing rocks at them. She noted it was gray in color, like the rocks, and made a sound like a little drum. Oh. When I asked her to explain the sound, she said, like the alien. "'Racking my brain, it suddenly came to mind. "'You mean like the predator in the movie Alien?' "'And she said, yes. "'She said it was the scariest thing she'd ever seen, "'and they left immediately. "'The whole time she spoke about it "'in in a very matter-of-fact manner. "'Being in law enforcement for the last five years, "'you tend to get a sense for, for what she says is BS.' I won't fill that in. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't get that from her. There was no reason for her to lie to me about what she saw or to impress me. And it wasn't going to get her out of jail. I looked up the area around Telluride and saw the closest place I can come up with is Trout Lake off Colorado Road 145 near town. The lady was not completely sure of the location, and given her extracurricular activities, her memory of the roads may not be that great. There are uh-huh. definitely mountains on all sides that would provide stands of trees and rocks to be thrown. Take it for what you will. I've never heard a description of them making a sound like that or of them being gray, but this lady at least seemed pretty sure of those details and scared enough to have left the area. Thank you for the fun, positive, and fascinating content. Stay safe in these wackadoodle times. Becca.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible uh, piece of mail there. And if we tear it apart a little bit, first of all, Becca, thanks a lot. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah. If, if you tear it apart, Kev, you know, I remember the Predator movie where they had that creature made like a clicking noise yes, when it would yes. appear.
1: And it could be invisible and then become visible, right? That would like camouflage with its surroundings, which, you know, it could be clear space that it camouflaged with.
0: Right. And all you would be able to see was like a little blurriness of where its body was and kind of somewhat of a border.
1: Yeah, where and where it didn't quite match the exact surroundings, right? Like exactly. the edges.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Now, getting back to that point, uh, people do say, this is why I say there's two elements to this Bigfoot thing. People talk about this thing vanishing. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not saying it has anything to do with the movie Predator, but it may be a similar phenomena as to what was portrayed on the film. Who knows? Like, how the heck does something just disappear?
1: You know, Bill, it's hard. I mean, my theory is more just camouflage, but I I hear you and it definitely there's so many accounts that say it's more than just camouflage. But, you know, when you're out there in the wilderness, especially dusk, dawn, you know, in a forest, you know, it's you stand out because you're wearing the clothing that you have on. But if you didn't, and especially like we talked about before, if this thing laid down which we're not expecting it to do, right. it would, like, disappear.
0: Right, exactly. You know? And you're not now, right on top of it.
1: You know, it's very rare that someone says it was two feet away and it disappeared.
0: Right, and we have no, uh, we have no indication of here what the distance was. She just exactly. said it was up on the hill.
1: Exactly. So I, Going- I tend to think it's more just the camouflage of the beast, you
0: know. Now, as far as the gray or gray and white, uh this is more common than some people may think. I've heard this before. And uh we've subjected it to our own critique, which is like maybe they are born that way with that color. I mean my friend's mother had white hair when she was 17. So it's not it's it's not completely odd that somebody should go gray early as a human. Uh salt and pepper, you know, this type of thing. Or maybe it's just an old Sasquatch, and they get gray when they're old. I don't, I, uh, we don't know. It seems know.
1: reasonable to me, Bill. Like, if it was bright purple, okay, we have something to talk about. But gray, yeah. why not?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here we go with the rock throwing again. I know. They definitely have a propensity for tossing rocks around uh, to scare you, to get your attention, to hunt.
1: Yeah, many, uh, many accounts of rock throwing.
0: Right. And interesting, though, how, kept that they don't have, like, an ability to make a weapon. Yeah, true. You know, like, people talk about their intelligence. Well, we believe, going back a long time ago, that early man was able to make a spear.
1: Yeah, especially having hands, and, you know, what we think is, uh, you know, a posable thumb.
0: Right. So, yeah. but they, you never hear of... Uh, uh A bigfoot having a weapon, no, it's just what they can do physically or a rock, yeah, the
1: only you know it's not like goat man where it's wielding that axe,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, let's uh, oh my God, the goat man <laughs> creep fast, yeah, he was freaking creepy, man <laughs> the freaking goat, man. and you know what uh nobody's ever seen Bigfoot eating a uh, popsicle, <laughs> I mean, so we could we can put that to rest. Uh, if Now, if you see Bigfoot sitting on a boulder somewhere, uh, drinking a cup of coffee and eating a crumb bun, <laughs> uh, I want you to tell me. Okay, so write into uh, com and let me know what you saw. And
1: definitely a photo, too,
0: eating that yeah. so-called crumb bun. Yeah, and I want DM <laughs> tell them to stop eating because you want to get DNA from the last piece. <laughs>
1: All right, Becca, that was awesome, and we love the secondhand account. It was fantastic, and uh, here it is, coming from a law enforcement officer, too. All right, so the next one comes in from Scott, and he's in Plymouth, UK. Plymouth like the car, you say? No, so he says, (laughs) hi, guys, I live in Plymouth, United Kingdom, and yes, It's where the Mayflower ship sailed from some 400 years ago. Your podcasts are a true revelation and are a wonder to behold. Your unique (laughs) blend of retold accounts, listener stories, and keen wit make listening to you both an absolute pleasure. Keep up the good work and your brotherly banter. (laughs) Pilgrim Scott.
0: (laughs) Jeez, Kev, how much do we owe him for that? No kidding, huh? Bill, you,
1: you haven't – have you seen the Plymouth Rock up in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts?
0: Well, it's just – it's basically a non-event. It's a complete non-event. It's yes. Like-
1: just I, a little... I probably said it on this podcast before, but like the first time I was in San Antonio and I was going to a meeting and uh, I asked the cab driver, I said, hey, is the Alamo close by? And he said, yeah, it's right around the corner. You want to see it? And I was like, yeah, let's drive by. And you drive up to the Alamo. And and I was like, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that's the most common response. I think Plymouth Rock is the same thing. Like you You go there, it's all fenced off. You look down into this pit and you're like, that's Plymouth Rock? Yeah. Like, really? I shouldn't have seen that. I, I was imagining this grand boulder, you know, on the seascape.
0: Yeah, and Kev, you know something? Uh, you're mentioning Plymouth, a car. Some people in the near future are not going to know what a Plymouth car is. No kidding. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're, they're gone now, and unless you're a Mopar guy. I was going to say, except for those uh, Mopar fans. Yeah, some people down the road are going to be like, what's a Plymouth? <laughs> But, uh, geez, well, that's incredible, man. And we're so glad for people that write in, uh, and tell us, you know, uh, how much they like the show and whatnot. It's an encouragement to us to stay the course. Uh, not that we would stop if you told us it was terrible, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, it's really good to hear from people, you know, Kev, uh, that they're enjoying what we're uh, putting out there. Yep. Awesome, All right,
1: man. so we got uh we, we got two New York Ask ones coming in. Um, oh, so this one is from Vinny in North Carolina. Yo Vinny sa- He says, just a drive from Kev. Yo Vinny <laughs> He says, just listen to your latest podcast. You had me laughing out loud with the Liverpool banter.
0: Oh, I did, did. I? <laughs>
1: I like the offhanded ribbing that W.J. got about his Liverpool accent. In defense of W.J., I'd like to see Sir Anthony Hopkins pull off a Long Island accent.
0: Yeah, how you gonna do that, Anthony? He says, yo, Clarice, what are you doing?
1: (laughs) And then he says, as for Cav, the international man of mystery, have you visited all 50 states? It certainly sounds like you have. So, Vinny, I'm missing one, believe it or not, and it's Nebraska. So, some what? of you folks out there, if you're listening in Nebraska, you got to give me a compelling argument. Maybe go to a Cornhusker <laughs> game when they're playing college football again.
0: How about some pumpkin chunking out there? Oh, yeah. see that I would do. Yep. I they got to have some damn good pumpkin chunking going on there in the fall.
1: Well, I did that pumpkin chunking two years ago up in Stowe, Vermont. And I'll tell you what, when you see them shooting those pumpkins over a mile, it is something else.
0: Yeah, I mean, they got all those different classes, right? They got the trebuchet, they've got the. Yeah, uh, these giant
1: trebuchets are unbelievable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's Holy not, really
1: really. <laughs> and then some of the folks, you know, when they're doing the contest, they dress up like medieval folks, you know, and they blow the like the horn, you know, the animal horn when they're gonna uh-huh. fire.
0: It's, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome.
1: This this oh, one up God. in Vermont. If anyone ever gets to go to it up in Stowe, it's also next to the Alchemist Brewery, so it's a good mix to have. You know, fresh. Homebrew beer next to the pumpkin chucking. <laughs> I can attest to it. The All alchemist. Right. And our last, last letter this week comes in from Tony in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Yeah, Yo, Tony, boy. And Tony!
1: And Tony <laughs> says, like I have to say where Brooklyn is, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: like I gotta tell you. If I gotta tell you, you don't know.
1: And he says, What do you make of these varying sizes of these creatures? Seems like it's more than just age. What are your thoughts? I guess I shouldn't be surprised in the differences, as I'm a lot bigger than my brothers and friends. That's why I'm Big Tony. Hey. (laughs)
0: Hey. (laughs) Hey.
1: So what do you think, Bill? These differences in sizes? We've talked a little bit about it over time.
0: Yeah, well, I I think there's two things going on here. Uh, Number one, there are sizes regionally, which I think are just, uh, like we were talking about tigers the other day, or lions, right, Kev, or monkeys. Yep. Yep. There's all kinds of varieties of monkeys. Some of them are a foot tall, and some of them are, you know, three feet tall. Yep. Uh, But they're all in that genre, right? Uh, You can pick anything you want. Sharks being shark week now. I'm watching all these sharks. So I think there are smaller Bigfoot-type creatures And larger ones, you know Yeah, I think they adapt to
1: their surroundings, too You know, if they You know, maybe it's food-related, diet-related If they can't get as much food Maybe they're smaller, you know, just like people are Around the
0: world Well, listen, I have no problem getting food (laughs) And apparently neither does Tony Even in COVID You just put your mask on and bring your money It's okay (laughs) Just don't forget your mask Hey, you're only buying one pizza? (laughs) What's the matter with you? Hey, by the way, Rambo spoke with an accent, too. Hey, that's right. (laughs) They drew first blood.
1: All right, Bill, so that's the last of the letters. Good podcast this week. And, folks, thank you for all of the continued five star reviews. It's fantastic, and if you haven't left us a five-star review yet, please do so right now from your favorite podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is, and give us five stars. It's really important to keep those five-star reviews coming because they draw more listeners to the podcast, and that allows Bill and I to increase the quality of the podcast. And Lord knows we're always increasing the quality of the podcast. (laughs) So thank you very much for those kind five-stars reviews keep them coming and thanks for listening and be safe out there COVID is still here unfortunately
0: yeah and guys please go out and buy one or two of my books uh, for yourself or give them away tell people about our podcast and remember if you find yourself wandering around in the woods always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need sleep tight